I start with a question which is not a we question, but I start with the question, who am I? And I wonder if you find people, especially younger people, adolescent people growing up, and they are struggling. Maybe you're struggling to know, who, who am I? It's all, it's all like the world is going here, buffeting me here, there, anywhere, and I don't know who I am. Um, a song I like, it's not a secret here from some who know me well, I love Casting Crowns, but there is a song that goes by the title, Who Am I? And the gist of it is that, I quote the first line here, that the Lord of all the earth, how would it be that he cares to know my name? And it goes on a little bit in that vein. But the punchline is, you've told me who I am, because I'm yours. And you can unpack the detail of that. You need to get a bit of flesh on the skeleton. But, but there's the point. You've told me who I am, because I'm yours. Now, the question largely before us, I think, in this passage coming up, is who are we? And I'm kind of just assuming for this purpose that you, we are Christians and we're trying to think about that question. Who are we? Some may say, quite a lot of people, I think, not necessarily in this church, but quite a lot of people may say, I read my Bible, I pray, I go to church, I look forward to being God forever. Am I missing something? Isn't that about it? And I just want to add a comment, really, that in the West, compared to some, some areas in, in the world, sometimes very poor villages in Africa, they have a strong sense of community, really do share together. Um, but in the West, we are comparatively very individualistic, and this can affect how we can view church. And not in our passage, but there is a key word about the church. And the Bible speaks about it as an assembly. And the, the Greek word is ecclesia. It's a called out of assembly. And the church is therefore the ecclesia of God. So going back to that first point of the who am I, I am yours. Who are we? We are his. Absolutely fundamental. So we didn't browse and think, oh, the church down the road is just something, oh, I'm interested, so I'll go. We're here because we're his, and he's called us to come together. And the passage we're about to go on to talks about living stones, and soon in the passage it talks about us being built together. And not in our passage, but on the same theme, uh, 1 Corinthians 12 talks about the church as a body and each of us having a part to play. So there is, there is no room in, in this thinking for people to think of themselves as individuals who just do it on their own and just go and get a bit of input from something, but otherwise it's largely something you do on your own. Am I? Yeah, there we are. So let's come to, the, to what it's saying in this passage. The living stone, it says in verse 4, uh, rejected by humans but chosen by God and precious to him. And I wonder if you can imagine what the New Testament Jews would have thought when someone talks about a stone. And I just want to point out that 
that if you were a New Testament Jew, and they often didn't, they really didn't quite get what Jesus the Messiah was doing there and then, what were they really expecting? The temple was in ruins. They were expecting a rebuilt temple, and then Jesus, you know, God was going to come and dwell with them forever. So stones would make Jews think of rebuilding a physical temple. But the living stone, this is talked about here, rejected by humans. It's almost a little bit cryptic, isn't it? Um, And in verse 6 of our passage, Peter quotes, it's from Isaiah 28, says, See, I lay a stone in Zion, a chosen and precious cornerstone, and the one who trusts in him will never be put to shame. And this prophecy, if you look carefully at those words there, can you see that in the first line it's saying I'm laying a stone but then it says the one who trusts in him so this stone is, is, a, is, a, is a person that's in the prophecy it points to Jesus as Messiah who died and was raised to life hence living stone and then it goes on to say now to you who believe this stone is precious But to those who don't believe, the stone the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone. I've thrown a picture in there, and this is not the way we normally build these days. So even if you sometimes get a glimpse of a building site, but in these old buildings that were full of stone, there was a key stone in the corner. And this stone that the builders have rejected has become the cornerstone, a stone that causes people to stumble and a rock that makes them fall. And those verses in 7 and 8 are quoting Psalm 118 and Isaiah 8. And, and it said in our passage that, that they, they stumble because they refuse to hear the word of God. So there's someone stumbling. And you picture what was going on here in the time of Jesus. The religious rulers, when Jesus lived, instead of welcoming him, with open arms he didn't fit the plan they rejected him they wanted him put to death now you can begin to see this cornerstone that had come and the builders were rejecting it putting it to death but in a sovereign way God has raised Jesus from the dead and I do want to just read I think I need to find this Acts 2 I just wanted this is Peter at Pentecost, telling people really what's just happened. And Acts 2, I just want to read from verse 22 for a bit. You remember the context, the Spirit has just come, people have been talking in other tongues, people are wondering what on earth is going on, they must be drunk. Um, But Peter says, fellow Israelites, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders, and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's deliberate plan and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death because it was impossible for death to hold him. And then I just, verses 32 onwards, God has raised 
this Jesus to life. And we are all witnesses of t- to it. That was Peter, obviously, at the time. Exalted to the right hand of God, he received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, which he's poured out, and that's what you'll now see and hear. So this, this stone, the, the language of this builder's stone rejected, that's become rather important... This is all about what's happened with the Jews, isn't it? They've rejected Jesus. They thought they'd got rid of him. But actually, he, he was raised to life. And even though some might ignore him, he is a stone that people will trip over. So here's a bit um, about cornerstones and why they are important, perhaps in old construction, uh, less so um, the way we do it now. But if you... I'll just read the the bit and then look at the diagram. Historically, it says, the cornerstone was the most important part of any building. The total weight of an edifice, that's a facade, rested on this particular stone. And if it was removed, the other bits would collapse. I'm sure you can build a building so that it's not quite so dependent. But in the way they used to do it, it was a very important stone structurally. It was a foundation. The cornerstone was also key to keeping the walls straight. Can you see those red and blue and green lines? When that first stone has gone in, the cornerstone first, and then these, think now, now think ahead to where we're going with things coming together. All these other stones are close to the cornerstone, linked to, become one with, and, the, and they get shaped and set to a line according to this cornerstone. Later on, as, as cornerstones developed, they, they included details of when built and by home. Sometimes they were used as a, as a ceremony to remember when things were done. So then our text goes on. As you come to him, I'm missing out a little bit in, that we'll come back to. As you come to him, verse 4, you also, like living stones, are being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. But I'm thinking just for the moment, for this bit, the spiritual house. So we are a spiritual house. Now, can you get your head around that? If you listen to how I was starting, and if you perhaps can agree that in some ways we have this weakness, I'm speaking generally in the West, it may be some of us as well, that we think in our, you know, we can do this largely on our own, And it's wrong because we are meant to be built together. Let me quote a few texts that that support some of this. In 1 Corinthians 3, it says, For no one can lay any foundation other than the one already laid, which is Jesus Christ, fits in perfectly with what we've just been saying. That particular passage, if you browse on further, it does go on to say, Be careful how you build because the work will be tested. And... uh, in Ephesians, this is half of it, and you'll see the text when I've got to the end. Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and strangers, but fellow citizens with God's people and also members of his household, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets with Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone. And in him, the whole building is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in him you too are being built together to become a dwelling in which God lives by his spirit. Now, that's in Ephesians 2. 
Are you getting some of the excitement of what is, this picture is? That, that, that we come to Christ, it's not just that individual, your sins are forgiven, you're just waiting and you, 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 you're doing your path. You are being joined to Christ, joined to one another. But the question largely comes, and this might prompt discussion even later, um, where I think we all have some problems, I'm, I'm sure all churches have some, but, but where, where do you find you fit in? How do you find out where you fit that's a, a, a tricky question. Now, this next bit, I think, is particularly friendly for the children. Um, now that you've got this idea that church is something like being built into a spiritual house, here's a house. Any of the children, what can you see in the house? you want to tell me something? Bits of a house, Isaac? A TV. Did you see one? Yeah, I think there is one. Good eyesight. I can just see that. Anything else in the house? Sammy? Table, tennis, table. Bethany? A bed. There you are. That'll do. I'm going to give you some other ones. A house has many parts. Um, there's a door. If you were a building, if, if we're being a, who, who'd like to be a door? Anyone want to be a door? People would just sort of, go, you, you keep on, this happens to you a lot, doesn't it? And it sometimes goes, yeah. You could be a door. Who'd like to be stairs? Yeah, you can. You could be. Do you like being walked on? Right, right. These, there are parts of a chair. Who wants to be a chair? Anyone? Do you like being sat on? No. We could try that later. A roof. What does a roof do? What does it? What does it mainly? What do you want a roof for? In it? Why? Why bother with a roof, Bethany? Stops rain coming in. That's pretty important, isn't it? Because particularly in our country, we get quite a bit of... So roof, yeah? What's that? Isaac? A floor? Anyone want to be a floor? It's not, not the most appealing, is it? It gets dirty and it has lots of bugs on it. But it's all, yeah, still part of a house. Now there's a nice one. Who'd like to be a window? Yeah, because you can see through it and it's all crystal clear. Yeah, and your people come to you and they're going, ah, oh, as long as it's not raining outside and it's dark and grey. Now, here's a tricky one. What's that down there? Anyone know? This might not be so easy, Sammy. It's a foundation. Now, who in the building would like to be a foundation? I can think of two answers to this, and then actually in our passage it's quite a tricky one. But yeah, Isaac? Okay. It is, it is. It, yeah, yeah. I can, on the, on the picturing a building in which part you'd like to be part of, I can think of actually reasons why if it's buried and not visible, like the cornerstone we saw earlier might be in a bit grand, but if it's buried and not visible, I think I don't really want to go there. But if it's super strong and everything else sits on it, yeah, I'd like to be one of those. But in the passage that we're looking at, there is only one foundation. We've quoted those verses. that There's only one main thing that we're building on, and that's Jesus Christ. But foundation is an important part of a building. 
we actually, some of you will know, we're privileged to sometimes go down to Dunster Beach where we have some, they're just like timber sheds, but ultimately a little bit under them, they're just sitting on sand, right? And actually, there are rabbits on this beach, and they kind of, sometimes there are a lot of them, and they dig underneath. So they're cute, but they are the enemy because they go under the foundations, right? And they give us work. So any of you who go there again, they're the enemy. Don't smile at them, right? (laughs) So what in a building, if you just had three doors and seven staircases? So I'm going to make a building, and I've ordered three doors and seven staircases because that's all I've got. Would it be a house? Would I be able to make a house out of that? Anyone, Isaac? Okay, there you are. I put them together, but it's a bit of a mess, really, and it's not a building. It's not a building. So all I'm really uh, trying to, to get through here is that there's a question, isn't there? Who makes the plan of what goes where? Because when someone originally made this building, there would have been a plan. Someone would have made windows. Someone would have made doors, floors, you know. And who makes the plan on who goes where in God's spiritual house? Is it the elders? Is it the deacons? Is it God? I think in the, in the way other pictures uh, also help us answer this, the picture of the body in 1 Corinthians 12, uh, it says there are a similar picture to the idea of building. There are different kinds of gifts, but the same spirit. And now to each one, the manifestation of the spirit is given for the common good. To one, there is given the spirit of the message of wisdom, and to another. And then it goes on. There can be a long list of things that God has given as gifts to the body, and they all work together. But who is giving these gifts? Who's, 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 it is God who is giving each one their gift. Or in the building sense, helping... You know, We, we often have a very specific place in, in, in the whole picture. And then Colossians 1 says, And he, Christ, is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning of the firstborn from among the dead, so that in everything he might have the supremacy. That's in Colossians 1. So that was the idea of a building coming together. And I think there are challenges on uh, how we... um, I mean, for one thing, and I state the obvious, even though Wendy and I are at a time when my work and other things, it's challenging to be here as much as we would like. But by and large, it's so important that we are here because it's the only way you, you have a chance of being built together. So that's the building idea. Um, As you come to him, this is the same text again, but highlighting a different bit, you also like living stones being built into a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood. Now, we don't often talk about priests these days. There's an Old Testament priest. Why did the Old Testament people need a priest? Isaac again. Yes, yes. 
by and large, the people did not have access to God. And the priests who were from the Levites, they actually had to go through special ceremonies to make themselves clean before, as it were, they offered sacrifices to God on behalf of the sins of the people. So they were kind of an intermediary that, that stood between the, the sinful people. and I mean, they were sinful themselves, but that's why they went through in the, in the ceremonies, as it were, dealing with their own sin before they came to God. So only the priests went near God. Now, now go back to our task. You, Peter says, and, and I think we have covered this in the previous sessions, but this is largely Gentiles he's talking to, isn't it? In, in 1 Peter, this is not a Jewish audience. He says, you are a holy priesthood. So he's not just talking to Jews. The key thing now, of course, is that believers are all priests and able to, to, to draw near to God one of the roles that isn't there is that we don't stand between sinful people and God, but, but the thing is we are able to draw near to God. That's the thing we have in common, that there aren't the barriers. You remember the curtain of the temple had been torn in two. And I quote quite an important thing that invites us to draw near. This is in Hebrews 10. Therefore, Brothers and sisters, since we have confidence to enter the most holy place, that was a part of the temple, by the blood of Jesus, by a new and living way opened for us through the curtain, that is, his body. And since we have a great high priest over the house of God, let us draw near to God with a sincere heart and with the full assurance that faith brings, (coughs) having our hearts sprinkled to cleanse us from a guilty conscience and having our bodies washed with pure water. So priests these days, if we know roughly what priests in the Old Testament did, offering sacrifices and the kind of things they were, grain, animals, that kind of thing. But it does raise the question, um, offering we as priests these days offer spiritual sacrifices it says that in the text where do we get some help on what that would be well I can think of two or three things two or three verses that help a bit this is in Romans 12 and very well known Um, I urge you says Paul to present your bodies your lives really as living sacrifices holy and pleasing to God That is your true and proper worship. So there's nothing small here. Your whole life is to be offered back to God as a living sacrifice. David in Psalm 51, very aware of his sin of adultery with Bathsheba, and having been found out, he says, You do not delight in sacrifices, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, says David, O God, is a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart. You, God, will not despise. So 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 this is this is not a being a Christian is not about keeping all these commands so that you're good enough to be accepted and looked on with favour by God. We couldn't do that. We are seen in Jesus. That's how we pass that test. So actually, when we have one eye looking at 
the awareness of our sins and our shortcomings, and then another eye seeing that God has wiped it all away. There is this broken and a contrite heart, which is so important, so healthy, and David reminds us God will not despise it. And in Hebrews 13, uh, through Jesus, therefore, let us continually offer to God a sacrifice of praise, the fruit of lips that openly profess his name. Then the last part of what we're dealing with is uh, from verse 9 onwards. And there are some punchy statements here about our identity. We go back to that key question, started with who am I, who are we? Are we, are we learning a bit more? We've got the idea of living stones being built together into a house. I'm hoping we'll just find a few more things here that will help us to understand who we are. And the first one is a chosen people. And this is, um, this, is a, this is a difficult bit to understand, and I think rather than get my words all muddled up, I'm going to read you something that helps, because this is, this is at the root of it that God chooses some to be saved, and in essence, by default, some are not. But let me just read a little bit of this to help put it in a helpful way. Says the Church of the New Covenant is not only a holy temple and priesthood enjoying the presence of God, <coughs> it is also an elect race, and if that's not a word you come across very much, a chosen race. The people of God's own possession, and that's in verse nine. God dwells among his people because he has chosen them. The heart of the covenant is God's electing love. The scriptural teaching of God's choosing is sometimes questioned because it is not understood and sometimes hated because it is understood. It can be received only by faith, for to receive it one must confess that God is God. The wonder is not that God chooses some and not others, Abel, not Cain, Isaac, not Ishmael, Jacob, not Esau. The wonder is that God chooses any. Certainly God does not choose an elite. Israel is a chosen people, but not a choice people. God's elect have no ground for pride. And on the contrary, God chooses not the wise, the mighty, or the noble, but the foolish, the weak, the despised. No one may boast before him. Well, that's a tricky subject to, to talk about, but there is this sense... It's in our text. You, the church, are a chosen people. And uh, a little part of Deuteronomy 7 here uh, is, a, is a beautiful, this, this also gives a little window into God's heart. The, God di- the Lord did not set his affection on you and choose you because you were more numerous than other peoples, for you were the fewest of all the peoples, but it was because the Lord loved you and kept the oath he swore to your ancestor that he brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from slavery in the land of Egypt, from the power of Pharaoh. So that's, uh, that's that one. Now, royal priesthood. Priesthood, I think we've covered. We've touched on that. But, but put this word royal in front of it. What does that make you think? We have royalty in this country. So why, what would make a priest different if he's a royal priest? I'll help you. Well, I've given you a bit of a hint there. 
there, there is this kingly thing because Jesus was a priest and a king. And as we are joined to Christ, there is a measure in which we are invited in the kingdom to rule and reign with Christ. So there is a, a kind of authority, a kingly authority behind being joined to Christ in this spiritual house, a royal priesthood. It, it really elevates it. We are also a holy nation uh, in, in this phrase. Now, the nation would have meant a lot more to Old Testament Israel, that particular geography. The Old Testament law set standards, laws, and it required obedience. The people were also to be holy like God was. And then in that culture, when the nation stayed close to God, they were blessed. And at that time, other nations saw this. They marveled. I think sometimes in the wars that went on, they also lived in fear. Because if they had to, had to come and do battle with God's nation, they, they feared this God. Because even when they had small numbers, God could do all kinds of things to rout his enemies. And then the last thing in that uh, part of verse 9, we are God's special possession. And I come back to that thing we put up before, but he set his affection on you to choose you. Um, it was because the Lord loved you that he kept his... You see this um, special place that, that God's people have uh, in God's heart. The apple of his eye and deeply loved. I wonder if that is how you sense it. Is that how you feel? I hope it is. Um, the tricky thing we do have is that, is that the world is bustling and, and any one of us can look at things that are quite troubling and we forget. We need to come away from it and see and believe that we are this special to God. And, and although some of these other problems don't go away, it does change the perspective on them. Here's another text. I'll put it all out so you know where it came from. This is actually from Hosea 11. Um, when Israel was a child, I loved him. This is just the beautiful language. And out of Egypt, I called my son. That's God's personal name for his people. I called my son. It was I who taught Ephraim to walk, taking them by the arms. But they did not realize it was I who healed them. I led them with cords of human kindness, with ties of love. And then a little gap. How can I give you up, Ephraim? How can I hand you over, Israel? How can I treat you like Adma or like Zeboim, actually cities that were destroyed a bit like Sodom and Gomorrah? My heart is changed within me, says God. All my compassion is aroused. I will not carry out my fierce anger, nor will I devastate Ephraim again. For I am God and not a man, the Holy One among you. You get a sense, particularly with a hint of judgment that was being meted out, that this God had such a big heart for his people and he really cared cared for them tenderly required them to stay close and to obey and there were consequences very clearly when they didn't but he loved them his special possession uh, and then our passage goes on to say um, that you may declare you are a royal priesthood 
holy nation, God's special possession, um, that you may declare the praises of him who called you out of darkness and into his wonderful light. Now, I'm hoping that you do have a sense, something of that. It's worth, um, I, I did pick up reading around this, darkness to light is a very clear picture of coming to God. If you didn't know, I think the Billy Graham Memorial Center over in the U.S., when someone was trying to work out how to make it, make, you know, what to do in it, they deliberately made you walk from a very dark place into a very light place because it just come, conjured up this idea. But there is a sense that without God and without being forgiven, without being drawn together and called out, you are just in a dark place, but now... He calls us into his wonderful light. Once you were not a people, but now you are the people of God. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. And I think particularly when we have been Christians for a number of years, it does us well to remember a time before we knew God and what we were like, because sometimes at the moment we think, oh, we're not moving very fast, we're not growing very fast, you know. But actually, compared to where we were, we have received mercy, and we are now a people. And the once you were not a people almost has echoes, I think, of uh, the, the name given to Hosea's second son, uh, Lo, am I not my people? So I'm mostly done, but I just want to bring back a summary slide, and then we'll sing a a song. Who are we? That was the question I was trying to bring at the start. And I hope if you slightly answered it on the individual way, I hope that your vision has changed. We are living stones being built into a spiritual house. Could be a discussion later, but you know, if we all want to be a door or a, an entrance door or a window, if we all want to do that, the building doesn't work, does it? So finding where you fit in the building is not easy. Some of it's to do with what individuals think they can do. Some of it's to do with other people confirming what they can do. Living stones being built into a spiritual house, joined to and built upon Christ, joined to one another, being built together. And I could, I could just, if you picture the way that blocks go together, you know a block starts, but you know it gets worked on to get the shape right so it fits. And I think in essence, as we get built together by God, rough edges get chipped off, sometimes that might hurt. I don't mean stones don't really feel anything, but we do. And when bits are being changed so that we fit together better. God knows where each one fits and what change is needed to improve that fit. So living stones being built together. We are a chosen people. This is a very high privilege and it is very undeserved and never let us think of it in any other way. Don't make the mistake of thinking that you know better than God and how can some be chosen and some not. Like, like that part I read, we are not God. We don't understand the whole picture. 
But if, if we respond to God and come to him in repentance, we can enjoy this. Um, it's a high privilege. Just remember to be humble and, and be glad of it. We are a royal priesthood in the king's family and asked to draw near. So if there's any perception with you that God is far away and doesn't know, we need to get through that because we, we, are, we couldn't be, have better access to God, able to draw near. A holy nation, I just quote a bit from Micah, uh, acting justly, loving mercy, walking humbly. Just, but that sense that being part of this building means you're not just part of a building but kind of living in another way. You, you, you're taking on a likeness of God and following his ways. God's special possession. He's told us who we are. We are his. That we may declare his praises, it says. So this is who we are. And the challenge is to believe it and be who you are. Because I tell you, it's, it's easy to say, yes, I, yeah, I agree with all that. But actually to really live like this is true. This is true of his people. Um, but like, like I was saying, when you walk around building sites, and remember that the church is on earth is salvation under construction, any glimpse of any church... And you could, like, like if you go and see a building site halfway through, yeah, when it's finished and the scaffolding's come down and all the finishes are on, it'll be lovely. But in the middle of the process, it doesn't always look so good. There are things to trip over. There are problems. It's just in the bit in the nature of being in the middle of the process. And that's how it is. But this is who you are. Be who you are. And let's enjoy working it out together. So I'll finish there.